This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 87 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman, and our other host, Steve Cerruti, is already on the line. Cerruti, what's up? I feel like we're going to open every podcast in quarantine the same way, but what's good? Give me an update from the Cerruti household. I have a big update, and it is that I finally went through with it, and I buzzed my head. I did it. You did? I'm so pumped about it. Yep. Let me send you a picture right now of okay. it because I want, I want your genuine surprise reaction. This is Maddie. My wife took this the other day. So I'll explain what happened. My hair was just long, and I had, I had been wearing hats all the time, and it was so long where I couldn't even style it, and it was long where it would get in my face, and especially when you wake up in the morning, it would be a disaster. Yeah. And I thought, what better time than now to just chop it off and get rid of it? So I took the, the razor, the trimmer that I usually use my beard with, I went down to about a six or a five for the setting. The, the dudes will know what that means. And uh, I had Maddie just kind of buzz the whole thing and clean up the back. And it actually looks pretty good. So I'll send you this picture right now. Okay. And I'll say this. It is liberating to not have hair. It, it's amazing. <laughs> my, for the first time ever, my beard is longer than my hair. And it's like I don't have to worry about it. I feel like a new man. I'm free. I just got it. <laughs> <laughs> and you look so different. You kind of look like you just got out of jail or that maybe you just got initiated into a gang, but a super preppy gang, (laughs) like a J. (laughs) J. Crew gang. (laughs) (laughs) Why did we just both say J. Crew gang? Um, I'm in the crew. What crew? The J. Crew. Don't worry about it. Part of the handshake will be that you have to tie a tie (laughs) or tie a bow tie, something like that. We meet our boat shoes on Tuesdays. That's how we do. NBD. You wear cloth belts, ribbon belts. There's a lot going on in this photo because not only do you look so different and I can't get over it, you are eating a salad. So you don't, yeah. as someone that is in the J. Crew crew, you're definitely on brand there getting those veggies in. But yeah. wow. I think it looks good, Steve. It just, I'm used to you having that great Italian flow. I mean, when we worked together, your hair was longer than mine. And I used to beg you to braid it every day because I wanted to see what you would look like in a braid. (laughs) So for you to have no hair is just jarring for me. And you need to tweet out this photo. Yeah, listen, it'll grow back. So I'm not worried about that. I've got a good head of hair. And the hairline is still pretty much intact, which is cool. And I'm not going to see anybody for a while. So who cares? Just let it go. And honestly, I'm thinking about the next time I cut it, I might even go shorter. So there's still probably, I think... I don't know. I wouldn't call it peach fuzz, but it's, it's short. It's, it's like a, a couple millimeters, maybe long. I'm thinking about going shorter the next time just to see what it looks like. I would never bick my head because I just don't know if that would be the look for me. But I will say, Maddie, too, my wife, by the way, who is like very much against me doing this, uh, she's slowly coming around on it. She actually kind of likes it. So I am convincing more than one person here. Not to sound weird, and maybe it's because you're wearing a hoodie in this photo, it makes you look bigger. Yeah, I Maybe it's because you're wearing I an mean, extra layer. I, I think dudes with beards and short hair, they look tougher than they probably are. Like, I'm not tough at all. In fact, I'm the opposite of tough. I'm not tough. But when you have short hair and a beard, you instantly look like you have street cred. So, listen, I guess I'll take that because that's what I look like right now. You're so right. That's exactly it. You just look tougher. Therefore, I think you look bigger. Also, there's not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that guy looks like he could beat somebody up. That's crazy. And then you look at me with, like, my bun. Like, that guy looks like he, you know, I don't know, likes to do online shopping and hang out and paint his toenails. Never in my life, Steve, no offense, have I thought you could kick someone's ass. In this photo, you look like you're ready to kick someone's ass. 
Well, how should we do this? Should we have people listen to the pod first and then I'll tweet the photo out? Because I yes. do want to put it out there. I mean, it's kind of weird. You know I me. Mean? I'm not like a post a picture of myself kind of guy. I feel like that's super weird, especially for dudes. But I kind of want to put this out in the interweb. I feel like when I post the link to the pod, you should quote tweet it with just the photo. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And we talk about this and I'll just put a picture in my head. I love it. Okay, there's two things I want to talk about in relation to the photo, in relation to your new head. Number one, and I'm just going to throw this both out there, and you can pick whichever one you want to talk about. Number one, I definitely think dudes who are already bald are thriving in quarantine because we've already adjusted to the fact that they're bald or balding, and so they don't have to worry about their hair. Their look is already established, so if you're bald— Congrats, because you don't have the stressors that Steve and I are having to deal with right now about your hair. And number two, (laughs) it really makes me laugh that the photo you sent me is one that Maddie took of you. Because I, in my mind, when you said I'm going to send you a photo, just assumed it would be a selfie. And then I thought, I wonder if Steve has ever taken a selfie in his life. I just don't picture you as a guy who's ever taken a solo selfie. I have never taken a Well, that's not true. I've ironically taken a solo selfie. But I would never, like, post that on Instagram and be like, you know, I don't know. Like, hitting the town, what's up? Or, like, with some vague quote that has nothing to do with what's going on. Like, just trying to be a better me every day. And it's just a solo picture of me walking out of park or something. I would never do that. I feel like I take ironic selfies all the time and send them to my wife. But they look stupid. But you've never posted it. No. I would never take a solo selfie and be like, you know, new day, new year, new me. (laughs) I can't wait for you to post this photo because I want to post it and just say caption this because I'm sure there's some amazing quote that people can come up with. Like, shed your anxiety is about COVID the way I shed the hair on my head, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You said it better than I did. Exactly. Some quote that basically you just want to send a picture of yourself out there, but you try to think of some clever thing to make it deflect away from the fact that you just want to send a picture of yourself. I will do that. I mean, caption contest, maybe not, because I feel like the looks like thing or whatever is like a Levitard thing or whatever, but I would be interested in people's reaction to my now close to bald head. You know, the streets are talking, Steve, and you gain some street points, some cred points. I got to be That's honest. True. Honestly, I've been watching The Real Housewives of Potomac a lot, and they always say the streets are talking. And now I love that so much. No, I, that's your thing. Well, I just think it's such a wonderful way to spin gossip into a way where someone has to address it. Because you can't just say, hey, I heard you're cheating on your husband. But if you say, hey, the streets are talking, and it sounds like you're stepping out <laughs> on your husband, it sounds like you— the streets- yeah. It sounds like you didn't say it and you're just being a good friend by informing them that the streets are saying it. So now I want to say that all the time. Like, hey, Steve, the streets are talking and they're saying you should keep your head shaved because it makes you look tougher. Yeah, like the streets are talking. It looks like you bench at least 50 more pounds now. But think about it. You could really frame that and say anything mean that you want to say. Like, wow, the streets are talking and they say you've put on some pounds in quarantine. You know, I'm just letting you know what the streets are saying. <laughs> yeah, Not yeah, I'm telling like, you that you look dumpy. But I'm not going to say I'm judging you. I'm going to say people are talking. People are talking, and they said that, you know, maybe you're not as good looking as you thought you were. Right. I heard it in the streets. People are talking, and they think you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> should we frame that when we talk to Will Kane, who, by the way, I should have done this off the top, but our friend, ESPN radio host, ESPN TV, you've seen him everywhere. Will Kane will be joining us in the second half of this podcast. Can't wait to talk to him. But, you know, there's been some rumors about Will on the interweb. Should I frame it that way? Will, the streets are talking, and they're saying that you may leave ESPN. Is that how I should frame it? 
Yes, definitely. I mean, I don't know if to give you an answer, but it's an easier way in because you're like, wait, who are the streets? Do the streets know more than I know? Oh, my God. But you know what I've noticed on The Real Housewives of Potomac? And you know what? You could learn a lot of life lessons from The Real Housewives on how to approach things and, more importantly, how to not approach things. But whenever they say the streets are talking, no one responds with, who are the streets? Everyone just accepts that the streets have said it. That would be my first reaction is, like, who the fuck? Like, the streets have a name. Give me some (laughs) names here because we know – and even here's the thing, though. Do they do it in a mean way? Are they judging or are they actually trying to help? It's more of I want to get the answer to this. You know, like, for instance, one of the women who claims to be very rich and be married to the black Bill Gates, she moved from her house into a new house. But the streets are talking and the streets are saying that that house is a front, that she's bankrupt and that her husband owes millions of dollars in taxes and that she's actually living in an apartment and just renting out that house for for show. So they said, hey, the streets are talking and they're saying you're broke and you're living in an apartment. So it's not like, hey, what's up? Nosy people. It's just people that are looking for info. They want the latest on the gossip. Yeah, Yeah, they want the hot gossip. But you get that information from a friend or whomever, and you don't want to say, hey, guess what? Bubba told me, Steve, that you said this. They want to say, hey, the streets said it. The streets are talking. But here's the thing. Are you more likely to get an answer if someone goes, hey, the streets are talking and the streets are saying you're bankrupt and you have no money? Or are you more likely to get an answer if you just go, hey, are you, like, cool? What's the deal with you guys right now? I feel like if you're up front with them, Maybe they're going to be more likely to confide in you with the information that you want. Whereas if you just say the streets are talking, that would just make me more pissed off. I'd be like, the streets could shut the fuck up. Then. I don't give a shit about the streets. <laughs> I said you look tougher. You already are tougher. I mean, you shaved your head yeah. and you have a new persona. You are tough guy Steve now. Yeah, listen, you look good, you play good, you play good, you get paid good. So I'm trying to look as tough as I can and look the part. Respect. And the streets t- wouldn't mess with me. That's what I'll say, Michelle. The streets wouldn't mess with me. I can tell. With that hoodie and that salad, the streets would not play with Steve Cerruti. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot going on in that photo, too. And it, me looking like I could possibly be in jail, but then I'm sitting down at a table eating salad, in, you know, uh, which is like the least tough guy thing you could possibly do. But I've always wanted to be beard, short-haired guy. So I, I'm getting to live out my fantasy now in the quarantine. Props to you for living out your fantasy. But, yes, this photo says to me, I just did a cool seven and locked down and really just wanted sweet green when I emerged. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. But to answer your thing about the streets and then we're going to move on, I think if you came at me saying, hey, I heard you're broke. I heard that the black Bill Gates is actually the broke Bill Gates. I would get defensive and be like, why would you say that? Whereas if you come at me and you say, hey, the streets are saying this, it makes me a little more endeared to you thinking like, hey, I heard this and I'm just letting you know what the streets are saying. I would be more likely to give an answer to you if you came at me with the streets because it seems like you're being more of a friend. Whereas the other way to me seems like you're prying. Well, what are the desperate house or what are the, uh, the, what are the housewives do? What do they do? They would not take the news of the streets well. No, they did not take the news to the streets well. And the housewife that was confronted about the goss on the streets, she was just like, not true. That is my house. And that's where we live. And essentially took the tough guy Steve route saying, like, you can shut up because this is where I live. And then the episode that I just watched last night, I haven't seen the outcome. They're dressing like fake pizza guys and they're showing up to the house unannounced to fake deliver a pizza to, in fact, see if if she lives there. Yo, these people are crazy. Yeah. I love it. It's like, do they have anything else to do? What's like? What are they doing? Do they, they're going to have this elaborate plan to dress up as fake pizza guys. Okay, so if you and Maddie, you obviously all three of us are really good friends. If I said to you, "Hey," or let's just say 
I said I was not dating someone and you knew that I was dating someone and you knew I was lying. You knew I was lying, but I kept doubling down and you wanted to confront me on it. What would you do? If we lived by each other, you would say, hey, let's follow her and see if she goes. (laughs) I don't know if I would do that. (laughs) To the guys out. That seems like a step too far. (laughs) Let's stalk Michelle to see if she's actually lying or not. I would probably just be like, I don't know, whatever. She'll tell us when she wants to tell us. See, this is what I'm concerned about post-quarantine, that I am just going to become a psychotic real housewife. And if you say something and I don't believe you, I'm going to be like, well, the natural next step is to follow him and see what the deal is. Definitely to stalk you. Yep, that's the logical next step. I get that. Here's the thing, too, though. I'm confused. If they show up at this house as fake pizza people and they're actually living there and they're not renting their house out, then they're going to look really stupid. No, then they're going to do it as a joke, like, ha-ha, surprise, here's a free pizza. I just want to say what's up. Mm. Right. I don't know. I, I think you see through that joke. Yeah, Karen and the Black Bill Gates, her husband, will obviously know that they were creeping on them to see if they lived there. But if that was the case, I'd be like, good. I'm going to take this pizza and my pride because I was right the whole time. <laughs> I guess so. But then, like, I mean, are these people actually friends or are they, like, frenemies? Definite frenemies. Okay. So they don't actually like each other. They just kind of compete against each other, hang out, tolerate each other, and then talk shit behind each other's back. Well, they used to be friends for 15 years, whatever, pre them being on the show. So that's what I'm saying. I kind of get their point. If I was friends with someone for 15 years, and then you're showing up to brunch telling me you bought this mansion, and then I show up to the mansion and none of your stuff is in there, and it's rented furniture— and I ask you about it, and then you get defensive and say, you know, it's my new furniture, but I know it's not. And I have questions that you won't give me the answers to. I'm pissed. I am pissed that you're lying to me after I've known you for this long. <laughs> yeah, but what if the, I don't know, what if Karen the Black Bill Gates is going through a really rough patch and they're not trying to talk about it, and then you just out them in front of all these people? It makes it even worse. Right, but then just say, hey, I'm going through it. I'm not ready to talk about it. We will address well, it at a later date. it's true. Right. But then you know it's true. But then we're not friends if you're going to lie to me. And we're not friends. Mm -hmm. To me, a friend is someone that that you can come to for advice and someone you can be vulnerable with. Friendship does not exist without vulnerability at some point or else it's just a surface friendship, right? That's how we bond is I share something about my life and then you reciprocate that. That's how people get connected to one another on a friendship level. So if I have, over the past 15 years express to you something that I've been struggling with and then when it's your turn to express vulnerability and let me be there for you instead you double down and say I'm so rich me and the black bill gates just bought a hundred thousand dollar jaguar and I'm in this new house and I know it's a lie I am pissed because I have revealed myself to you and you will not do the same to me listen I don't know if that's the truth but who am I to be doubting the friendship like if we should be taking friendship advice from anyone it's definitely the housewives of New Jersey the housewives of Beverly Hills like they're probably the first and foremost experts on all things friendship because things go so well in their lives exactly Uh, and speaking of the streets are talking you know who the streets were talking about all through the 90s Dennis Rodman yeah so Rodman how do you like how do you like that for a segue That was pretty impressive, to be honest with you, and that's why you're hosting this podcast. Thank you. Um, I would say Rodman, to me, I heard Bill and Bill Simmons and Ryan talking about how they didn't think he was that interesting. And I get the point because they were saying that he actually never has anything interesting to say. He just does a lot of things, like he has tattoos and he dyes his hair. I don't know a ton about Rodman. I didn't know about the Vegas thing. I knew about Carmen Electra, which, by the way, Carmen Electra, like, still bringing it to this day. Like, shouts out to her. She looks like she hasn't aged one day. It was amazing. 
it was pretty wild to see. It could have been 2002 Carmen Electra. I'd be like, yeah, looks the same person. What's the difference? I don't know. And listen, it was a quick, obviously she had her makeup done and things looked good, but it got me thinking because I was less interested at that point in Dennis Rodman and I was more interested in Carmen Electra. And my question was, <laughs> who is the were. 2020 Carmen Electra? Ooh, I don't. And is there one? Yeah. Okay, so let me read between the lines here. You're saying. Who is the hot babe that is the one that all the dudes like, right? Yeah, like not only like dads were into Carmen Electra. Like I remember kids having Carmen Electra posters when you go to a bedroom or something. If it was a more edgier house or whatever. She transcended age. She was just like universally like, oh, this is the hot chick of the late 90s, right? It's Carmen Electra. Like everybody knew who Carmen Electra was. And now with Instagram and with all this stuff, like, I just don't know if it's possible because there's so many. Like if you're, if you're a decent looking chick – Chances are you've already got a few thousand followers on Instagram already. It's such sensory overload for us now because all these hot chicks are thrown in our face all the time. Whereas back then, Carmen Electra, like when she was around or when she'd be on a TV show, it was a big deal because it's freaking Carmen Electra. Okay, a lot to dissect here. And I think you're right. I also think part of the reason that no Carmen Electra will exist in 2020 and beyond is because poster culture is done. You know, when our parents were growing up, when you were growing up, that was a thing for dudes to have a poster of someone hot on their wall, whether it was Farrah Fawcett back in the day or Pam Anderson or whomever it may be that you thought was hot. You would go to Sam Goody or wherever it was that you got your CDs and your posters and you would buy the poster and you would put it up and it would be next to your Deion Sanders poster. And that when when your friends came over to eat Doritos and kick it, they would be like, oh, you got a Carmen Electra poster? Sick, right? That was part of the deal. Whereas I don't think kids today are going to the mall. They're not walking around the mall. They're not popping into Sam Goody and they're not getting the poster. So I think because there's no poster, there's really no girl that we can pinpoint to say she's the one. Because to your point, it's a buffet for young bros out there now with girls. You know, they're going to get on Instagram or whatever and see all of these beautiful women. And so it's different because there's not just that one that they saw in the mall or whatever. But I also think that the Carmen Electors are rare, especially now. It's kind of like an extinct animal because Carmen Electra looked like she looked and You know, she was on TV, which, yes, you can get good lighting, but that's how you look. She was in magazines. Yes, you can have editing, but basically that's how she looks. She didn't exist in the filter era, in the era where you can do all of these different things to yourself. Yes, some of herself was enhanced. I'm not going to take that point away because a lot of people are are making it right now. But you know what I mean? These young men and women, you know, because girls are getting it on Instagram, too, with all these ripped fitness dudes out there they can enhance that you can shave your head and get on an app and expand yourself expand your shoulders to make yourself look like you've gained 50 pounds and I wouldn't know any different because that's the photo that I'm consuming there's a lot of work that's put into it so a lot of the people that these young teens if you will are looking at on social media that's actually not what they look like in real life whereas Carmen Electra that's what she really looks like yeah, which is actually kind of crazy now. Like, you don't know what anyone really looks like, especially like all the Instagram models. Have you ever noticed, too? I'm sure you have noticed this. Even the Instagram photos with like hashtag no makeup, they still look good in those pictures. They're not going to just post a beat picture of you, you know, in like a t shirt with holes in it. It's just about the brand, right? So you can never have a bad moment. So even when you're trying to open up, be like hashtag no filter, no makeup, try to stay, you know, as natural as possible. It's like, yeah, but you still have a filter on this thing that makes it look like you have makeup. So you may not physically be wearing makeup, but you basically still are wearing makeup. So I guess the moral of the story here is 
Carmen Electra, trendsetter. She was, uh, I mean, I don't know, one of a kind, I guess. I mean, there were other Carmen Electras for sure. Like, she wasn't the only one that was a super hot chick, but she certainly had the spotlight in the late 90s. Yeah, we're going to have to ask Will about this, too. I'm really interested to see his perception of how he viewed Carmen Electra in the 90s. And he's got two young boys, so that'll be interesting to see his take on what we're talking about. But, again, to your point about girls posting the hashtag no makeup, it doesn't count as no makeup if you also have a huge ring light behind you and you're giving yourself perfect lighting before Wait, you put a filter on it. people just have ring lights? Brandos just have ring lights and that's how they take pictures now? Like, it's not just people on TV? I know so many girls. So I have one for videos that we shoot here at 101 ESPN. Yeah, it's different. But it's mostly because I shoot them on my phone and there's a clip on there that holds your phone. So it's essentially a stand that you can put up that makes it look like it's a produced video when it's not. It's shot on your phone, which is the reason that our station bought one for me. You can buy one on Amazon for like 100 bucks, And I cannot tell you how many girls that I know that have purchased ring lights to take photos specifically for Instagram. I don't know if I should be sad about that or if that's just the way it is, but again, shouts out to Carmen for not having a ring light back then because she still brought it, and she still brought it in this dock, which was definitely well lit, but it doesn't matter because how old is Carmen Electra now? I don't even know how old she is. Stand by. 50s? No, really? Has to be. No way. She's 48. Wow. Close. 48. She looks great. Who is the number one Instagram hot chick who's not really famous for anything but other than being hot? I mean, I should ask you. Do we know? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, I don't, you know me. I'm not. Yeah, but you know me. I'm not one of those dudes that just follows random hot chicks, and I certainly don't DM them. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I don't know. Is it Emily Rachikowski? Is that how you pronounce her last name? But, I don't know. I feel like. But she's, she's a model. Like a, she's an actress. She's more than just Instagram. Yeah, everyone's a quote unquote model now, though. I don't know. You could, you know, I don't know. I guess she is a model because she gets paid by companies to do things. But was she famous before? I mean, she was famous before Instagram, I guess, right? Yeah. Like she's not just Instagram famous. No, she's not. And, you know, I mean, she was in Gone Girl. She was acting alongside Ben Affleck. Yeah. So, I mean, she's but on I a different level. I knew she was then, too. Me, too. But I'm just saying it's more than, hey, swipe up for my tummy tea. Hashtag no makeup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's in, she was in an Amy Schumer movie. I mean, she's done some stuff. Well, hit us up. Who? I mean, because I don't have an answer. I want to know who the Carmen Electra of 2020 is and if there is one. Yeah, I don't think there is. But what was your biggest takeaway from episodes three and four of the Jordan doc? Because I, I'll give you mine. There was several. First of all, this documentary is so good. It is so good. The way that they're doing the timeline. The the music's amazing. amazing. The music is amazing. There's a Spotify soundtrack, by the way. That's the Last Dance official soundtrack. And it is the soundtrack of my dreams. It is so good. It's Puffy. It's Mace. It's Camp Low. It's Busta. It is so good. I highly recommend that everyone download it and listen to it. But there was a lot of things that I took away from that. But from the Rodman episode, specifically episode three, <laughs> tell me if you agree with this. There's a lot of ways that I want to go with this. But one thing that I took away is they talked about how Dennis was, I call him Dennis, because he went from Dennis to Dennis Rodman. Dennis was kind of a quiet, unassuming guy. They talked about how he was pretty normal, that, you know, he just kind of minded himself and whatever. It seemed like meeting Madonna and dating Madonna was the equivalent to the way a lot of people are when they study abroad. It's like it it unlocked that in him. You know how we talk about people who are like, bro, like Barcelona changed me. Or like how people go to Burning Man and they drop acid or they roll or something and they come back from Burning Man and all existential and they're talking about the universe. And it's like, 
everything stems from Bur- from Burning yeah. Man. It seems like everything from here on out stemmed from Rodman, where he became Dennis to Rodman to Dennis Rodman when he hooked up with Madonna. Madonna unlocked the, for lack of a better term, the crazy or the creative inside Dennis Rodman. Well, the, cre- the crazy and the creative was just like wearing dresses and dyeing his hair and having tattoos. It's funny. I feel like now that's like the norm, right? So many people, I think, try to be original and they're doing the same thing. But Rodman was the original of that, right? He was the only guy who was that out there and that crazy, to use your word. I mean, that's not the correct word, I guess. But like, you know, he was just at the time, it's like no one had been doing the things he was doing. No one was really looking the way he looked. And especially athletes. I mean, athletes weren't cross-dressing and doing all that stuff. And then, of course, he went on the bender in Vegas for like, quote unquote, 48 hours and ended up being like over a week, right? Imagine if that happened today. I feel like there are so many, especially NBA stars, even NFL stars, like sports stars in general that like, oh, I'm wearing this crazy outfit or I have this style. And it's actually not that original now because everybody does it. When Rodman did it, it was the most shocking thing that anyone had ever seen at the time. And I do think it's ironic that a guy like that, you said he was called Dennis before that. Like the name Dennis to me, when I think of a Dennis, it's like a... (laughs) a middle-aged white accountant who probably wears his pants a little bit too high and, you know, I don't know, is probably having some male pattern baldness. So the idea that his name is Dennis, like he just doesn't fit a Dennis to me. He's not a Dennis, but it's Dennis Rodman, one of the most iconic guys in the entire night. Yeah, I should have said crazy because I think that people will take that as like a mental illness, as a bad connotation. I meant just... No, but I know what you're talking about. It just unleashed like, yeah, like His actions, he was different and unique in a time when it wasn't cool to be different and unique. The point I'm trying to get at is now everyone wants to be vulnerable and everybody wants to be unique and everyone wants, and they think that that makes them unique, but it actually doesn't. It makes you just like everybody else. Back then, Rodman was the only guy doing this stuff and he truly was unique. Yeah. To me, he was just unleashed and became a wild man. It's like he was going to express himself however he wanted. He was going to do whatever he wanted. And do I think a Dennis Rodman could exist today? No, probably not because of social media and all the well, different. What do you mean? What do you mean? It can't exist. Do you think like obviously the 48 hour Vegas thing would never fly today? Never fly. Would run with that and. Yeah, that would obviously not work out well for anybody. I mean, that would be the number one story on every single sports show across the country. And, you know, I'm sure Michael and Scotty and all those guys would get inundated with questions. Exactly. And it would be a massive distraction. Yeah. Um, but I think his style and his weirdness, I think that is totally fine today. There are plenty of guys like that. Oh, absolutely. The way that he dressed and his self-expression definitely could fly today. I don't think we see it to that extreme. I don't think any... NBA or NFL athletes are showing up walking down the tunnel in a wedding dress. We're certainly not getting that. But, you know, they've taken their style and their expression to a different level. Russell Westbrook dressed up as a photographer. Remember he wore the vest thing, the the highlight vest or whatever. Westbrook's a guy. Like, all these guys, they all try to look weird because when they walk into the arena, they want to have somebody take a picture of them and their new fit or whatever. I think all of them look ridiculous and weird, and that's what Rodman was doing. But he was the only guy doing that in in the late 90s. But there's a big difference between dressing up in an off-white vest to look like a photographer and wearing a wedding dress and dyeing your hair and painting your nails. You know what I'm saying? He was pushing a lot of boundaries and didn't really care about the style aspect of it as much, whereas I think these guys still want to say, hey, this vest is a Virgil vest and it costs three grand. They're flexing even though they're, they're trying to to make a statement. But I'm saying for him to say mid-season, I need a vacation and I'm going to slam a Miller Lite and hop on this motorcycle and speed off to Vegas and you're not going to hear from me for a while and shit's going to get weird. 
that would get out to the media today, and then everyone on their phone would be filming Rodman. They'd be taking pictures of him. It would be everywhere. TMZ would be following him around Vegas. You wouldn't be able to do the things that he did back then and unleash yourself that way anymore. I mean, think about yeah, remember when Johnny, Ma- Johnny Manziel was wearing the wig. Everybody took photos of him. No, that's a good point. The idea that there, maybe there is footage of Vegas and they just didn't show it, but the idea that that could happen, he would be all over social media. Everyone would have to be taking pictures and videos of him. You couldn't just have a bender in Vegas if you're Dennis Rodman with Carmen Electra and have no one see it, have there be no footage of it. That could not happen today. For days on end. And what I thought was amazing, too, is in episode four, they really focused on Phil Jackson and everything that we discussed earlier about Jerry Krause and about his ego and about how you would let your ego get in the way of this dynasty and essentially your own success. Phil, conversely, is always praised for the way that he was able to manage so many big egos and the way that he was able to coach and understand people personally. For him to acknowledge that in Dennis Rodman and say, hey, this guy has been towing the line and he's about to explode, so I can either let him go now and get it out of his system before playoffs or before we need him to buckle down, or I can say no and then it could deteriorate then. For him to make that decision ended up being the right decision. In today's world, and now we celebrate him for that. You're watching the documentary, and it's like, wow, look at Phil. He knew what he was doing. Phil let him go. He was able to manage him. Phil knew Dennis on a friend level, et cetera. In today's world, if, I mean, let's just think of, okay. I got a good example. Okay, go ahead. Gronk's a good one, too, actually. I was just going to say. I was thinking more basketball. I was going to say Gronk because he is someone who can party at the Rodman level, and his performance never really slipped because of it. If Belichick yeah. would never let that happen. Exactly. But if he did for some reason, if Gronk was like, hey, week eight, I am skipping practice all week. I need to go to Vegas. And I don't know the NFL, the construct of the NFL season is different than the NBA. But if he was like, I need to go to Vegas for a couple of days to blow off some steam. And Belichick is different in this example because a lot of people don't push him in the media the way they push someone else. But there would be entire shows dedicated to has Belichick lost his mind? He cannot control his team. He would certainly not be celebrated for letting one of his players blow off their responsibilities in season to go party. I think there's a better example. And it's an NBA example because I'm trying to think like third wheel type guys or second wheel because that's what Robert was. He wasn't the star player. He was like the elite supporting cap guy, right? What if it was Kyrie Irving during one of his seasons with the Cavs where he goes to whether, well, I guess it would be David Blatt or Ty Lue and was like, Hey, I need to bounce for however long people would lose their freaking mind. Cause obviously Kyrie has the reputation that he has and the yeah. Cavs hadn't necessarily won yet. So people would lose their minds. What would have happened if Draymond green, who was, you know, the third wheel for a lot of those championship teams in, uh, in golden state, what if Draymond green went to Steve Kerr after they'd already won a championship and said, I need to bounce. I need to go, do this for 48 hours and leave. I don't know. Would people be more accepting of it because it was Steve Kerr, it was the Warriors, and they had already won? No, because do you remember when Steve Kerr was saying, they're so good they're getting bored, and he let them run the huddle? Remember all the blowback on how disrespectful that was? We can't believe, has he lost the team? Instead of him saying, hey, maybe I'm with these guys day in and day out, and I know how to push their buttons, and I'm trying to keep them engaged and create some levity and something different every day. The way that sports media is set up today, the way social media is set up today, for you to allow that just wouldn't fly. No matter if it was the right call or not, maybe in retrospect we would look back and say, hey, he knew what he was doing because it paid off in the end. But in the immediacy of that moment, there would not be anyone congratulating Phil saying, hey, great call letting Rodman do that bender in Vegas. 
it was kind of cool and it made me sort of not jealous. I don't know what the word necessarily is, but like long and miss for the times when we weren't so interested and enamored and didn't hang on the words and the actions of every single celebrity or, or athlete, right. Where they could actually have a life on the side. And, you know, obviously Jordan was Jordan and Jordan, everyone wanted to know what Jordan was doing. He didn't really have necessarily a personal life, but now every athlete, I mean, media, everything, like we know every single thing about them. We know where they are. We know what they're doing. A lot of that because of their so their own social media, they want to pump, you know, pump out, Hey, I'm here. I'm working with so-and-so or I'm doing this or I'm in the gym. Back then we didn't know that much about these guys. So that maybe that's another reason why like Rodman, not only was he like, this interesting guy that we'd never seen before, but we also didn't have the access that we have to guys like we do now. So I don't know. It sort of made me long for the times when there was still some aura of, mis- I don't know, of yeah, mystery, mystery around yeah. some of the athletes because we just know so much about every athlete that we like now. Yeah, mystery is a long forgotten pastime. I miss the days of mystery where yeah. you didn't really know what people were doing all the time and they didn't feel the need, more importantly, to tell you what they were doing all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the second part. I mean, now everyone's like, did you work out if you didn't post about it on Instagram? Or did you actually go on vacation if you didn't post about it on Instagram? Now it's almost our own fault that we let people know too much. But back then, you know, these guys can go out, and I know they would still be recognized, but it wasn't like necessarily now where we know every little thing about their personal life and who they're dating and, you know, all their comments on social media. Like, we just didn't know a lot of this stuff. And it was kind of cool. And maybe a lot of it was because we were kids, too, and we didn't necessarily know a lot of that stuff. We were just oblivious to it at the time. But it made me nostalgic for a time when, you know, that was when we were growing up. That was like our heyday of when we were figuring out how much we love sports and how much we like to watch sports. And I missed that sort of aspect of being a fan. Me too. And in episode four, we learned a lot about Phil Jackson, and I've loved Phil Jackson for a while. Most people have. I read his book, Eleven Rings. He's just an unbelievable coach and an unbelievable leader. And what I took away from that was how, I don't want to say rare, because I think a lot of coaches do this now, but only the great ones really do this now. But think about him in that time saying, hey, I am so comfortable in myself and the way that I am coaching. And obviously he had had success, so it made it a little bit easier. But for him to acknowledge that in Rodman and the way he was able to manage all those players and manage those egos and that he was going to say, hey, I'm going to bring in some Native American principles and yoga and breathing techniques and all of these things. And you guys are going to trust and respect me enough to get on board with that and that it would work. You know, again, things like that now, I mean, it would be a little different now because Phil kind of set that precedent or a lot of coaches have done different things. But if Let's say a coach was coming in and they said, hey, we're going to take the TB12 method and we're going to no nightshades for anyone on the team or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. It would be picked apart. And you know that there would be some star player that would say, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. And you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to stretch. You can't tell me how to breathe. There would be some pushback for that. So to see the way that everyone respected him. And I think part of the reason that they respected him is because he was so sure and confident in himself, which I thought was a very cool thing to observe. Yeah, I agree. And I think he was ahead of his time in that way in that he, I think a lot of the great coaches, especially in basketball, because we all know in the NBA, talent wins. That's what I I think is kind of stupid about everyone talking about the triangle offense. Yeah, like the triangle offense was interesting and it definitely helped Jordan, but Jordan still wins titles without the triangle offense. And he probably still wins co- titles with Doug Collins as the head coach of the Bulls. Now, does he win six? I don't know. But Phil's greatest asset was the Zen master thing, right, was the way that he managed personality, not necessarily the X's and O's stuff, because as we saw with the Knicks, just because you have the triangle offense doesn't mean that you're some sort of, like, all of a sudden that's going to fix a terrible team. You still need the talent. So I just think the way that he was able to 
manage Scotty, manage Michael, and then you know, convince Michael to do things that may, you know he may have not. Because what was the reason that he was going to trust Phil Jackson? Who was Phil Jackson at the time? He was a nobody. Right. And Michael was able to sort of buy into his philosophy and end up working out for both of them. But then, as you said, the most important thing was realizing that Dennis Rodman needed a break and that they might have not won a title if he didn't do that because he would have gone off the you know gone off the reservation. You bring up the triangle offense. Even that. Think about you're the coach. You are, have the greatest player in NBA history. You probably don't know that at the time, but you know he's in that conversation or that he could be in that conversation. And you're going to adjust the offense that takes the ball out of his hands all the time. How many coaches would have the guts to do that? Most coaches would sit back and say, it all runs through Michael. Get the ball to Jordan at all times. We're going to do this. For him to say, no, let's spread it out and make this more of an ensemble cast, and therefore it's going to make you better, you have to be very confident and very sure of yourself to stick to that plan. I agree, and I don't think there are many people that – I don't think it's possible to do that nowadays. I think it's interesting, like the Jerry Krause thing, too – the, the way that he handled himself and the way that he was so sure about the moves that he was making, and despite the fact that Jordan, you know, was friends with Charles Oakley, they traded him. They went against a lot of Jordan's wishes a lot of the time. Yeah. And it worked out most of the time. Nowadays, organizations are all about coddling their star players. All they want to do is figure out how do we not lose you? How do we make you happy? And I think a lot of that, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I don't think there are very many organizations that have the clout and have the backbone and have the security to tell a star player, especially a guy like Michael Jordan, no, we're changing this. We're going to do something that you don't want to do because it's going to be better. Trust me. I don't even think teams think like that today. No. When LeBron was in Cleveland, even in L.A., he's essentially running all personnel, too. Yeah, and that's not an anti-LeBron thing. No. You're right to bring up LeBron because I would say that LeBron, other than Eric Spolster, like how many great coaches has he really been around? And if you're LeBron, you're going, no, I have a proven track record. I've won championships. I'm going to do it my way. But – I do think there is something to say of like sometimes you need to trust the guys around you, and that is one of Jordan's greatest strengths. That he did trust Phil, he trusted Scotty, he trusted Dennis. I don't know; it's one of the greatest things of Jordan that I think doesn't get talked about a lot. We're gonna get to Will in just a second, though. But I do want to ask you: Have you ever had a Kamikaze shot? No, I don't even know what that is. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I never had one. I just looked it up. A Kamikaze is equal parts vodka, triple sec, and lime juice because that's what Dennis was drinking in Vegas, and that's what he was joking about drinking in the locker room. And I feel like the kamikaze shot, I haven't heard. I mean, that seems like such a 90s thing. I don't know anyone that drank kamikaze, especially nowadays. But even when I was in college, nobody drank kamikazes. I've never heard anyone order that shot. But it would be very Dennis Rodman to drink a drink that's two out of three parts alcohol. And essentially the third part is just a garnish, if you will. Yeah, it's just (laughs) it's just to make it palatable. Named after an aircraft that's on a suicide mission. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I mean, things aren't going well if you're doing a kamikaze that night. What was your go-to, like, I'm getting blacked out tonight drinking college? Oh, Lord. Um, but I'll tell you what mine was. Yeah, you go for I mean, for me, it was just, I feel like the girls would say, let's cue up the vodka soda lime and just get after it. There was never, uh, oh, wow, I'm going to have a Long Island tonight because I'm going to black out. It was, just, <laughs> it was just like, wow, I'm going to have a vodka soda. Oh, we're having too much fun. I'm going to have seven. Ying yeah. twins are bumping. Whoops, I've had seven of these. Now I need pizza or, yeah. or I might throw up. <laughs> okay, so you were a consistent, I'm having the same drink, but it was the, the amount of drinks that would vary. Yeah. Uh, we used to, whenever we would get after it, we would go Grateful Dead. What's that? Oh, I got to, let me Google this. Hold on, because uh, I don't even remember what the hell was in it. At Quinnipiac, there was uh, just a, a bar there or whatever that everybody would go to. Hold on, I'm looking this thing up right now. And then that's what that was the main drink, and it was like for $12, you can get two of those. And you, literally, you wouldn't need to drink anything the rest of the night. You would just be completely blacked out. 
Grateful Dead, Tranquilizer. It's a bunch of different things. Hold on. I can't believe you never heard of that. No. Mm-mm. All right. Combine. It's tequila, vodka, rum, gin, raspberry liqueur, and a highball glass. You fill it up um, to the top with ice, and then you top it with sour mix. So it's basically like every liquor topped with sour mix and ice. Yeah, you know what? That's going to get the job done. I can promise you that. And now that I'm marinating on this, there are two that we would drink for specific nights that we knew we were going to get after it. And one of them wasn't a Long Island? Was not. So we had this bar in Champagne. Shout out Champagne. Shout out COs. That was directly across the street from my sorority house. And on Wednesday nights, it was bomb nights. And they would have ice bombs. And it would be in those big, big plastic cups. And it was blue raspberry vodka, orange vodka, regular vodka, and Sprite. And it was a big blue drink. And you had one to two ice bombs, and you were toast. It was, hey, see you tomorrow. Wait, that's like a Wando's fishbowl. It's like a Wando's fishbowl, yes. But Shouts it, out Madison. Shouts shout out Wando's. You know what? And now that we're here, I can't tell you how bummed I am. We need college football to happen for a lot of reasons. And I know safety first. So I always have to preface that way. I've had... Dozens of people hit me up and say, if college football doesn't happen, that means no Madison trip, no small talk Madison trip for you and Saruti, and I am devastated. And I hadn't even thought of that. I was more focused on the let's get baseball and hockey back off the ground. I hadn't even thought to look down the road at our Madison trip, but it's in jeopardy, Steve. I hate to be a downer. I don't know if it's happening. I don't know if it's happening. And it sucks because I have wanted nothing more than to go back to Madison after that first time we went back, and it would have been awesome to see everybody. Listen, if we don't do it this year, we'll do it another year. But uh, it is going to suck. I just, I don't know, Michelle. It doesn't look like it's heading that way. I know, Steve, but it was Illinois, Wisconsin, at Madison, homecoming, Halloween. Halloween weekend. Yep. It that would have been legit. It would have been legit. It was everything we could have ever asked for and more. Maybe we'll just do like a virtual hangout and make our own fishbowls. That if we, well, if we can't travel, that'll be our plan. But listen, we will go to Madison at some point in the future. Like I need to get back. I've made it my life's mission to go back and potentially live there one day. But uh, I don't know. It's TBD right now. Cool. Sounds like a blast. Bummer. I know. <laughs> well, since we're all bummed out, let's flip the script, shall we? Because we're going to be joined by Will Kane next. We're going to ask him who's going to be at his media dinner party because Steve and I have both expressed that we would want to have a beer with Will, but who does he want to have a beer with in the media? We're going to ask him what Steve's most annoying quality is and, of course, what his future is. That's coming up next. So Rudy and I have been wanting to speak to Will Kane on the podcast for a while. We've mentioned it several times, so we're so thrilled to welcome him to Small Talk this week. You know Will Kane. You can watch the Will Kane show on ESPN News. Listen to it on ESPN Radio from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. He's our friend. He's our former colleague. It's Will Kane. Well, I know life is weird right now, and our schedules are all kind of out of whack, so thanks for taking the time to do this. Normally, you're splitting your time between Connecticut and New York City, but I know you and the family decided to pack it up and spend your quarantine in Tennessee, so How's life been for you in the mountains? It's been awesome. I would love to say quarantining has been really difficult because on a serious note, I know it's very difficult for so many different people, both in terms of public health and in terms of their jobs. But we landed pretty sweet. It's nice to be in Tennessee. It's nice to be here close to the Smoky Mountains and out of New York City where my boys can not just stretch their legs and run around and have a good time, but like not worry about are you touching something that could be contaminated pretty nice relief. I'm sure that's great. And before we get into more quarantine stuff, you know, I was reading the internet and I saw a headline that was really personal to me. And I know that you might have some emotional investment in this as well. So I definitely had to bring it up to you. But how are you coping with the shocking news that Kristen Cavallari and Jay Cutler are splitting up? 
Well, if I wasn't very happily married, I would be seeing it as an opportunity. I can't believe Jay Cutler is letting Kristen Cavallari go. I mean, she is she's a, a ten, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what happened here. This is a seems to be a very beautiful marriage. I guess weren't they quarantined on an island somewhere? And and I guess they were just too close for too long. I saw pictures. I think it was Kristen Cavallari's official Instagram post was them walking on a beach or a boardwalk somewhere, and it seemed like it was all happy. But then there was a, a report, I guess, that came out that she filed because he did something wrong in the marriage, implying that maybe you know there was some extramarital activity going on. Who knows? Here's my thing, though. You marry Jay Cutler knowing what kind of guy Jay Cutler is. He's kind of a Debbie Downer, right? I think there's a lot of qualities that I have with Jay Cutler. So I don't know. If, if she just got tired of Jay's act over this time, I don't know. But here's the one thing about celebrity marriages. I feel like I'm always going to take the under on whatever celebrity marriage is the over-under, right? Because, I mean, I think it's like double or triple the divorce rate for when two celebrities are sort of married to each other. So for me, I'm not surprised at all. That's a really good bet. You, you're playing the odds, but I'm just curious as you lay it out. Like, where would you have gotten burned? What's the black swan? What's the outlier? It's, um, it's Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, right? Yeah. Haven't they stuck together forever? But they're not even officially married, which is why I think that they've been together so Oh, they're long. not? No, they're just partners, life partners. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, get up on well, your celebrity the outlier? <laughs> hmm, good question. Well, remember Chris Pratt and what's, I forget her name, the blonde chick. Like they, everybody thought they were like a great couple and then, yeah, Anna Ferris, and they got divorced. I just feel like at some point, most of these things come to an end and I, I'm just never going to be surprised when it happens. You know who would shock me the most, I think, is Chrissy Teigen and John Legend. And maybe that's only because they're so omnipresent in social media, but they seem to be pretty happy and have a cute little family dynamic going on. Yeah, but Michelle, that's why you shouldn't be shocked. (laughs) You know as well as I do that social media is fake. You used to tell us that in the control rooms at ESPN. (laughs) Talk about all the filters that girls put on their pictures. You, You know, any picture of happiness on social media is determined. It's destined to be a total fake. If Chrissy Teigen and John Legend get divorced, consider yourself warned. That's a great point. Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, big Will Cain fans, I'm sure, too. Um, anyway, <laughs> sure. moving on here. Sure. <laughs> All right, so that's actually a good segue. I'm trying to look good and whatever. Through this whole thing, you know, hygiene has been an issue. Haircuts have been an issue. You're a man, Will, who I think as you've gotten older, you had long hair probably like what? When you first start out in media, because every picture you look up, you look like a, you know, you look like you're 15 years younger. You have long hair, and then as I've known you, your hair has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, to the point where you came close to sort of buzzing it. I think when I was there, or at the end of my tenure there at ESPN, I have a little bit of news for you, Will. Throughout this entire process, everyone's sort of stuck here, quarantined, and can't get their haircuts, can't do hygiene. I just went and buzzed my head, Will, and it, honestly, it is one of the best things I've ever done. I cannot tell you how awesome this decision is. I think I look a little bit weird. Like, I'd probably be shocking if I saw you in person. But it is such a great lifestyle decision to any dude who can't get a haircut right now. Just go ahead and buzz your head. Would you be open to that? First of all, pour one out for Sir Rudy's <laughs> style. You, you are one that it grows back. I'm sure was really suffering through this quarantine because you couldn't get a fresh cut. You change your style every six weeks. So, in a way, this helps and makes sense. <laughs> But I will tell you, I talked about buzzing my head. I told my wife and kids, I'm not on TV for a while. I've always wanted to yep. buzz my head. But now I'm going the other way, Srudy. Since I haven't been able to get a haircut, I'm just letting it go long right now. By the way, what did you do on the buzz? Did you do a two-guard, three-guard? What did you do? 
So shout out to Maddie, my wife. I have just the thing that I use my beard with, the trimmer, right? I just went four all the way around, and, my, and Maddie just kind of edged the back up. So my beard right now is longer than my hair on the top of my head. Guys, I'm telling you, it is one of the most liberating feelings ever. I don't have to worry about what I look like. Because I, I was wearing a hat 24-7 because my hair was out of control. Now, mm-hmm. it is the most comfortable. I don't know why I didn't do this years ago. <laughs> I think it looks good, too. It does. Maddie calls me prison inmate Steve now, but I, honestly, I think it's kind of growing on it. <laughs> well, so if you're not on TV and you're going the long route, are you going old school Saruti man bun? And if so, can we get that on social media? Because I think we need to see that look from you. Oh, it's definitely not that long. That would take <laughs> months, I would think, really. And I'm not going man bun. No chance. Um, that's that's Saruti. That's not me. Yeah, Texas wouldn't welcome you back. (laughs) No. Okay, well, speaking of social media, Will, we've wanted to get you on the podcast for a long time because you're our friend and you're interesting and we want to talk to you. But the thing that actually put this into motion was because we were talking about DMs and different DMs that we have gotten. And then I posed the question to Steve, who do you think is the sports media member dude that gets the most DMs daily? And we settled on you. So you need to come on and set the record straight. Is that the case? Are you getting a lot of women in your DMs every day? Okay, to be clear, you're talking about DMs from women. Yes. <laughs> yes. More like the, hey, what's up type of DM, not the, hey, yeah. well, I hate your take on Michael Jordan. <laughs> it is not true. Oh. I do not get those wow. DMs. Yeah. I know. It's a real ego bruising <laughs> reality. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have a decently high opinion of myself, so now I'm feeling really down. I mean, like, why am I not getting them? I saw somebody post last night, and I know you guys are going to ask me about this at some point, but my name was floating around social media recently, and I saw somebody post last night, um, I really don't get the Will Kane hate on Twitter. It's like, it's like Creed or Joe Buck. It's not really a reason behind it. It's just cool for the sheep to say Will's not cool. And I got to tell you, it really hurt my feelings. <laughs> I, that's surprising to me because I feel like one of the things I wanted to ask you is whether or not, because, you know, we'll get to this in a second, but of course you've been in the news and whatever. And, you know, it just seems like, especially on Twitter, and we've talked about this, Twitter just sucks because it's all this echo chamber of the same people who want all the same likes and retweets from the same people, right? And you do not subscribe to that whatsoever. So, you know, you're not the most popular person on social media at certain times, but that doesn't mean that you're not successful in what you do. You are successful in what you do. A lot of people do really like you, Will. But I would want to know, like, does that ever bother you? Like, it has to bother you, right, when people are just like, oh, Will Kane sucks. Without ever having met you, or probably even ever having listened to your radio show, a lot of it comes from the first take stuff, which you're sort of pegged into this sort of role on first take. But the thing that when working with you and producing the show for a while is that, you know, there's so many people, whether it's in person, whether it's on the radio, whether it's when they just meet you or whatever, that are like, wow, I really thought Will was a huge tool and was a huge douche, but then I met him or started listening <laughs> to him and I actually really like this guy. And that must feel really good for you, but then it also must be shitty because they're like, wow, there's so many people out there that think I'm such a tool and I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Will we, re- Will, we brought you on the show to really just boost your ego, women nodding your DMs, everyone out there thinking you're a tool, so please respond. <laughs> Small talk, you're home for an ego boost. The floor is yours. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. Let's start with this. If I told you 
that it didn't bother me. As much time as we spent together, Saruti, you would call BS on me so fast because you know the truth. <laughs> I mean, of course it bothers me. Um, I will say this. It bothers me, but it doesn't change who I am. I'm not going to change what I say or what I think based upon it. That's just its not me being bold or strong. It's just I have that incapability. I'm not going to change because you called me a name. I might double down, and that's not healthy, by the way, either. That's not good because I'm still just being reactionary. But, um, you know, it does bother me. Here's what I told somebody. It's funny you bring this up because I had a conversation about this this morning. Um, it didn't have to do with sports media, but it had to do with Twitter in general. I said, for anybody that basically has my bearing in life, and I don't even think this is necessarily a right-left thing, I think it's, as you said, Srudi, simply doesn't go along with what's cool or groupthink on Twitter. For anybody that has that bearing, Twitter particularly, and social media in general, is an away game. I'm always playing away games. I never get a home game, and I'm usually spotting the other team 21 points. What that means is, they come in with preconceptions, formed opinions, lunchroom, mean girl table consensus. And for me to try to get understood or convince somebody simply that I'm not a tool, like you said, it's a massive feat. Like, I can't. I can't. And then I step back and I go, why do you even care? Because the truth is, Rudy, like all those people you're talking about, I don't really like them anyway. So why am I worried about being accepted by them? And so – I am frustrated because I think the most frustrating thing in life, I really do think this, or at least it is for me, is to be misunderstood. And I do think I'm misunderstood. I don't think people know what I believe, much less the kind of guy I am. So, yeah, it bothers me in the end. Yeah, well, before you came on, Steve and I were talking about things that we wanted to talk to you about. And I said, I think more than anyone in media slash anyone really that I've ever known in my life, the general perception of you does not match the reality of you in any way, shape, or form. And for people that actually know you or actually listen to you on a day-to-day basis, it's really confusing to kind of watch all of these people, the herd, if you will, come at you in a certain way without actually taking the time to sit back and listen to what you had to say. But Steve and I then were kicking around the fact that you're one of the coolest people out there to have a beer with. If we were going to put together a dinner party of people in media that we want to sit down and have a beer with, you're at the top of the list for both of us so even though we might have bruised your ego a little bit we're bringing it back up here (laughs) so we wanted to then turn the tables and spin it to you so if you had a dinner party and you could bring three media members to the dinner party who are they and why okay i'm going to answer your question i'm actually going to not purposefully but i'm going to buy myself some time to answer that because i'm curious about something because of course we're talking about me um (laughs) why do you think I am misunderstood then. Like, why do you think that perception is off of reality? Is it because of my perceived and real political beliefs in a world where you're not allowed to have those? Is it because I was on first take, as you pointed out, Steve, for a couple of years, and that really just forced one side of my personality out? Like, why, why is it so off perception versus reality? I think at ESPN, first take is the reason. We talked about this. I mean, I don't think you are who you are on first take – that's not who you are on the Will Cain show. And there's similarities there, but you're much more a normal dude, down-to-earth, likable on the Will Cain show, which is, I think, why you've sort of swayed so many people who initially didn't like you. The other thing I just think is, especially with social media, I mean, social media, it tends to lean very left, right? And you, And even if you're in the center and you just have a question and you question anything, 
that you know maybe that side is saying, you're immediately pegged as the bad guy. So I think even you just bringing up questions and wanting to have intelligent conversations and talk a lot of things through, that is sort of perceived to me as a negative to you because you're not just saying, oh, my God, and patting everyone on the back because you genuinely want to find out what the truth is and, and want to have information on whatever subject you're looking at. So I just think that you approach life and you approach discussions about whether it's sports, politics, whatever, you approach it differently, and that makes some people uncomfortable. So that's why I think people don't like you. Yeah, and to piggyback off of that, for me it's kind of twofold. I think where we sit right now, nuance isn't cool open, respectful discussion isn't cool. Everyone wants to be cancel culture. I hate you. Everyone is very divisive. You're either on this side or you're on that side. There's really no gray area in between. And because you want to oftentimes exist in the gray area, people don't like that. They don't find that comfortable because they either want to love you or they want to hate you. And I also find that people who jump to those snap judgments of you or of other people, it says more about them than it does about you. From where I sit, I could say, hey, this guy is blue and I'll get a tweet saying shut up ho the sky is green you know you know what I mean like people don't want to listen to what I have to say because I'm a female there's people that look at you and they look at the perceived package of you and they don't want to listen to what you have to say because of who you are in general and that says more about them than it does about you which is why you shouldn't take it personally well I appreciate that and um I would want to have a beer with you guys, too. So. <laughs> Thanks. But remove Thank us from you. the list and give us the list of people you actually want to kick it with. A dinner party of media people that you would curate to have a great time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be sports, either. It could be people you've met, people you haven't met, political background, whatever. Just three people. And they don't all have to get along. Okay. Well, this will only help to burnish the reputation of people <laughs> hating me. For twofold, I'll say two things that people will not like whatsoever. But I don't care. It's the truth. So... Um, number one, if I'm having a dinner party, I'm not picking people from the media. It's one of the most least likable <laughs> professions that I can think of. On a general basis, I walk around going, this media industry is broken. I hate it. I think um, everybody is totally trapped in that group thing we're talking about. And I would rather have dinner with a bunch of doctors. But I will do it. That's number one. It's going to make people unlike me. Number two is one of the names I'm going to give you. So, okay, I think... I'm going to pick two guys that I've never met. One is Bill Simmons. I've never met the dude, but I'm intrigued by him. And it's because I think we do have natural disagreement. I really like the ringers. Sometimes I'm disappointed in the ringers' one-sidedness. I just think there's so much better we can do out there of bringing people of different interests and thoughts together. And, um, I think Bill's built something. He sold it to Spotify. I'm fascinated by the entrepreneurial story. I'm fascinated by the potential disagreements we'd have. I'd be interested in the sports conversations. In a way, I'm a much less famous Homer Dallas version of his Boston personality. So he might be one of them. This is the one that's really going to get people not to like me. Um, uh-huh. I would include Tucker Carlson. I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In the way I'm you not laughing at you. I'm me. laughing at how people are going to react to it. Me too. Same. Oh, they're going to hate it. Same. And I don't care. I'm also I mean, thinking I care, about. But the, I'm not going to change it. I'm also thinking about the dynamics already with the three of you at that table. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like he talked about me being misperceived. Like I think Tucker's actually very misperceived. Um, he's a pretty independent thinker, and I think through the last couple of months of news, he's been fascinating. 
And I think he's doing something that every night will make you go, huh, that's a different way to look at that, a different way to think about it. I like independent thinkers. That's the bottom line. And I think they come on both sides of the political aisle. I think they come from different backgrounds. Um, so that's, that's what would happen. And I think the third person, without a doubt, would be Charles Barkley because he, he embodies that exact thing that I value the most, which I just described, which is independence. He thinks what he thinks. It's very common sense based. It's not always right, but I think it's always authentic. And um, I've never met him either. We've communicated virtually, but um, I would be fascinated to sit with Charles and, and have that conversation. Great list, first off. And I think all of those guys, I think they'd all get along. I think that actually, you know, because LeBron obviously does like the barbershop thing where they have discussions about stuff. And we always joke about the barbershop because it's just a bunch of like-minded dudes saying the same things and agreeing with each other, which isn't really a barbershop. But I feel like if you got the, the four of you guys together, you don't all necessarily agree on everything, but I think you'd have really good discussions about stuff and you would be very respectful of each other because I, I think Bill's that way. Charles is definitely that way. I don't know Tucker super well, but I imagine he'd be that way as well. I actually think that would be like a great television show. <laughs> well, um, one of them's got a multi-hundred million dollar business and doesn't need a TV show. The other is one of the best personalities on television. And the other has a hit show that gets about four and a half million viewers a night. So none of them need to pair up on an ensemble show. That doesn't mean that they don't want to, though. You know, media, everything is kind of compartmentalized. It's very linear. A lot of things are they're just a repeat of something that already exists. I don't know any sort of show that really throws people together with those differing viewpoints that wouldn't be afraid to say it. I mean, it could be kind of the sports leaning male version of the view and don't take that as a diss. <laughs> <laughs> so people are going to hate me after uh, that, I imagine. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, well, maybe the Tucker Carlson one. The other two, I think you'll get a lot of likes on. Yeah, but, for sure. um, let's do this. I want to ask you this. I want to change the subject a little bit here. I want to ask you, when we work together, because I want to lighten this a little bit, we obviously worked together for, what, almost two years, uh, and I always say that, you know, I went from working with Priscilla to working with you, and I couldn't have been more lucky in working with two guys that just not only were great dudes, but, you know, also were mentors, but also I could look up to and say, these guys really worked hard and wanted to be great at their craft, and every day came in and worked their asses off to try to be something and try to build something and build this great show. Um, but there are definitely times over the years where I think I disagreed with you more than I disagreed with Ryan. Everybody thinks I disagree with Ryan and everything, which is not true. But I think you and I would butt heads from time to time, but in a respectful way. But I want to ask you this, Will. In our however many year and a half to two years of working together, what is the one thing about me that annoys you the most? <laughs> the one thing about you that annoys me the most? Yeah, and listen, here's the thing is that we used to always have the sensitivity rankings on the show, on the Will Cain show, which I thought was amazing. And I always came, I was always voted least sensitive. So you can go as harsh as on me at now as you want to, because you know I'm the least sensitive one on the show. Yeah, but the problem is you didn't annoy me. And it's been not quite a year since you left, so any small annoyances I had, I've forgotten at this point. The most <laughs> annoying thing with you would be... Your sort of millennial dismissiveness. So it would it would be that attitude of like that's uncool, that's stupid, and you say it with a close-ended <laughs> sentence that seems like it's totally closed to any type of other conclusion out there. And I'm not even talking about on serious subjects. I'm talking about like on music or an NBA player. 
or whatever. And you know what's funny is your hero, Rosillo, does it a little bit too. So that's, that's kind of maybe something you learn from him. Like, let you, I know you love Luca, and I think Ryan loves Luca as well. But if I came in and said, hey, Luca's the best, um, the best young player in the NBA, best player under 21, if you disagreed with it, you just like, man, that's stupid. That's no, not true. You know, like, I, who am I to have that opinion? How do I get to know that? And then it'd be over, and I'd be uncool. Uh, that is incredibly true, and um, I'm not even mad about it. Like, it is true. Michelle, I mean, you do the show with me now, like, you know, however we do the show, and I am dismissive. I get annoyed. I feel like sometimes, I, the, what did you call it, the millennial, uh, what was the term, Will? Millennial dismissiveness. Millennial dismissiveness. It was perfect. That's actually a really great way to describe me. I am very dismissive. So, I, listen, I am acknowledging my flaws, and you're 100% right on that one. But I do feel like <laughs> in a lot of those arguments, I do really feel like I was right. <laughs> You know what, Rudy? I think some of our most tense moments was actually on sports topics, right? Like, <laughs> it was on Russell Westbrook. Um, yep. There's the whole Nuno wedding thing. That was well, a thing. But after yeah, that, that, it was, was totally mostly different. sports topics. <laughs> no, there were definitely times when you would say something, and I'd be like, that's such a dumb opinion, and I'm mad right now. But I would be, like, irrationally mad about it. It's just your opinion. I don't know why I would get so worked up about it, but I would. And you were always really cool. To, like, you, you could have been a huge dick to me, and you weren't. So thank you. Uh, you know what? You said, you said something a moment ago, and I know you wanted to make it lighter. Michelle, I think you probably have another fun question. But I will just say this. And, and Michelle, you're, you're in radio. Saruti, you've been in it for a long time. The compliment you gave me, A, I appreciate, and B, I think it's a very low bar to cross. And Rosillo for sure crossed it. But the funny thing is, I think 80% of the people who do this do not cross this very low bar. And that is, do you give a damn? Like, show up, care, try, want to get ratings, want to do a good show, put the work in. It's not going to guarantee that you're a success if you do that. But I will tell you, I don't think most people that get given microphones and millions of dollars in salary actually cross that low bar. I agree with you, and I wonder why that is. Because when you work with people like you, Rosillo, Saruti, whomever, that actually do care, you see the product and how much better it is. But I think a lot of people really thrive in that environment where you take this personally. Whatever happens over the airwaves that day, you take it personally because it's your work and your craft and you put your name on it. You stamp that every day. So for the people that don't care, that are just fine not doing any prep, cracking a mic, and hoping for the best. I wonder how you get there and how you successfully get there because there's people at a lot of different levels, including high levels, that show up every day and they don't care. So here's my theory. My theory is what happens is, especially in radio, it's so personality-driven that if somebody gives you a microphone and a salary, you presume it's because you're naturally amazing and your personality's great and your opinions are like little pearls. And you can show up without prep because, hey, my name's on the show and people listen for me. And so it's massively ego-driven where they're like, eh, if I just crack the mic, I can do this. No prep, no try hard. I just think it ends up being almost like, you know, maniacally, but insecurely as well, egotistical how they end up there. 
Ego is such an interesting thing to me. I've been reading a lot about ego during quarantine. And what you said really struck me because I've been reading a lot about ego because of Jerry Krause and because of the Bulls and because of the management of egos and the disintegration of a dynasty. Because when I watch that, I look at someone like him and think, how fragile is your ego that you could have the greatest player in the history of the game and what many argue to be the greatest coach in the history of the game in the fold with you and you want to blow it up because of your ego, because you you're not getting enough credit because I cannot identify with that at all. To me, your success, when we worked on the show together, Sir Rudy's success was my success. Will, your success was my success. And it's fascinating to me how people get to that point where they can't understand that a group's success is inherently their success. I have two responses to that. Um, number one, that's how every dynasty falls apart. Every single one, from the Dallas Cowboys to the New England Patriots to the Chicago Bulls. Every single one. Um, the thing about that documentary, which I think is fascinating, and Srudy, this is going to play into what you said about me a minute ago, where I'm like, eh, hold on to the cool take, <laughs> is, that, is that Jerry Krause was absolutely vilified in the first two episodes, and it didn't sit right with me. I was like, only because it was Man. too simplistic. It's like, ah, that's really all there is to it? Jerry Krause is an ass? Um, and maybe that's true, but I think what we saw in episodes three and four is that dude built that thing. He made every hard call. He fired Doug Collins, brought in Phil Jackson, traded for Scottie Pippen, signed Dennis Rodman. He did build it. He may have tore it down, but he built it too. I totally agree. I thought, you know, obviously Jerry Krause isn't around to be interviewed in today's day and age, which I think sucks for a million different reasons. But one, it's unfair to him because he's not basically allowed to explain himself and explain his reasoning behind that. And Michelle, you brought up the whole, you know, our success is everyone's success or whatever in, in, in sort of whether shows or team aspects which I think is true. Like, that's the way it should be. And, Will, you're right that that's how dynasties end. But you saw in the documentary Jordan, Pippen, all these guys are taking shots at Jerry Krause, making fun of his height, his weight, basically, like, making him feel insignificant in this whole thing. It's very understandable why this happened to me. It's very clear why it happened. The thing that's so crazy to me, Will, and Michelle and I talked about this, was how the hell did Jerry Reinsdorf pick Jerry Krause over Michael Jordan. You would never pick the GM in that situation over the star player. And somehow Jerry Krause is the one who was able to have the ultimate power here. That's the craziest thing of all to me. Isn't the only answer to that. And you're right. Somebody called into the show and brought up this. It was a different NBA then. And that highlights how, how different it was. Like even the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, didn't really have power over management. Now you can't imagine that. Steve and I were talking about this before you joined us again, Well. Dennis Rodman, how fun were those episodes watching Dennis Rodman exist in this dynasty and exist with that group? And we were saying, I don't think that there's a comp in today's sports world or there ever will be a comp moving forward of a guy who can party like that, who was dating women at the peak of their celebrity and the peak of their hotness and Madonna, Carmen Electra, et cetera, but never lost a step in his game and was universally right. kind of accepted for who he was. I mean, he's wearing wedding dresses and dyeing his hair and people were shocked by it but because he didn't lose a step on the court it didn't matter i just think social media has changed so much you guys would do an entire a block on that today on first take <laughs> a block it might be two it might be the whole two hour show yeah exactly um <laughs> we all know that dude i am definitely not this guy though the i can drink all night and be up at work at 6 a.m like the no hangover dude the endless energy dude i i'm Definitely not that dude, but I know that guy. That guy scares the hell out of me. I can't be around that guy. He does. He, seriously, the interesting thing about the um, the whole 
Rodman thing to me was when they went back and they interviewed Carmen Electra and you know, you're a little, you're older than us, so you probably remember that time differently. Like, I remember growing up in Carmen Electra, like, everyone had, you know, the poster. If you were cool or edgy, you had the Carmen Electra poster right up in your bedroom. And she was, like, the girl, right? Everyone just kind of knew who she was. And I was thinking during that doc, obviously she still looks great, which is, first and foremost, amazing. The second <laughs> thing I was thinking was, is there a Carmen Electra in 2020, in today's day? I don't think Carmen Electric, there. I don't think there can be a Carmen Electric today because now every decent-looking girl has an Instagram account and is basically, you know, <laughs> posting all her pictures there. I don't think there can be a Carmen Electra in today's day and age. No, there probably isn't. But the only thing I would say to push back on is Carmen Electra wasn't, like, the it girl everybody's painting her out to be today. She was big time, but she was like a sequel. She was second and never as big as Pam Anderson. So Pam Anderson oh, yeah. was kind of oh. the first of those, and then Electra came along, and it always felt like a lesser version of Pam Anderson. If we're doing the power rankings, where does Jenny McCarthy fall in that group? Well, you know, Jenny and I have personal history, so I'm going <laughs> to rank her really high. <laughs> Do you? I didn't Whoa, know hey, that. Now- <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Back that up. Go on. The floor hey, is yours. Sarita, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that story? I don't know if I know the full story. I know that there is some history. No, it's, it's already sounds like more than it ended up being. When I graduated from law school, um, so this would have been in Jenny's pretty, pretty um, high celebrity peak in the late 90s. My buddies and I all went to Vegas together post-graduation. Let's blow it out. We need our 48-hour vacation like Rodman. And we were playing uh, blackjack at Hard Rock, and we looked across the casino, and there was Jenny McCarthy. And she was sitting with a dude, and I was like, I'm playing cards with Jenny McCarthy. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. And she was at a $50 minimum hand table, which back in the late 90s, for a student with no money, that meant something, but I didn't care. I went to the ATM. I took everything out I could. And I went to the tables, and she had a boyfriend. I don't know who it was, but um, he was at the table. You know, I think one of them asked me for a light, or I asked them for a light to start the conversation. The boyfriend tried to split two tins which is an embarrassing move at the blackjack table. And yeah, on, she reamed him out, looked at me and goes, you never split two tens. And I was like, dude, come on. You never split two tens. And that's the end of my late 90s story with Judy McCarthy. Fast forward, what would it be? 15, 20 years? 15. I'm going to co-host The View. And I go on. And The View has their morning meeting in the makeup room, and you all sit in the makeup chairs, and they talk about what stories they're going to talk about. And I walk in, real fake confident, and I'm like, Whoopi, how are you? <laughs> and then um, I get to Jenny, and I'm like, Jenny, we meet again. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I told that whole story I just told you guys. At the end of it, she goes, she goes oh, thank God, I thought you were going to say we slept together. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Most people probably did not know that you had hosted or been on The View, for one. And then you also have a very interesting Whoopi Goldberg story, but maybe we'll do that another day, Will. Yeah, I got a Whoopi story as well. (laughs) I mean, if you have time, please share it because everyone loves Whoopi. Okay, so um, I did did co-host The View like four times. And um, back then, I was in the running to become one of the first male hosts of The View. Uh, I know for a fact that they're planning. They're breaking planning. down walls, dude. Nice. What's that? Yeah, I said breaking down walls. Nice. It was going to be a, a, <laughs> a gay dude and a straight dude. They were going to cast. Um, so they were looking for a straight guy. 
And <laughs> no, that was going to be me. Um, and it was Ross <laughs> Matthews. Isn't that oh, his name? Yeah, Ross, yeah. Ross, uh-huh. you know, who was going to be the He was the like Jay Leno, guy. right? But right there at the end, when oh, they were going to yeah. make this transition, they blew the entire show up, fired the executive producer, fired Jenny McCarthy, um, fired Sherry Shepard. This is when they brought Rosie O'Donnell back. So um, I lost out on that job, but I had created a relationship with Whoopi through that process. Which I think, I think, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, is mutual respect. She invited me to a 4th of July party for the show. I came out, got to know more. And then I wanted career advice. I wasn't yet at ESPN. I was, you know, kind of floating between different things, I think, at that time. And um, she said, yeah, come on out. So I went out to the house, just she and I, and she was awesome. Sat by her pool in New Jersey and... She just kind of said, yeah, you could do this, you could do that. And Whoopi was really cool. We, didn't, we haven't stayed in touch, but um, I thought that was awesome that she was, I mean, I was a nobody, and she was open to giving me career advice. Okay, well, we're getting towards the end of this interview because we want to be respectful of your time, and we opened this with a joke about headlines that we had read, and we wanted to get your opinion on it, but we would be remiss if we didn't ask you about the rumors, you know, well, the streets are talking, saying that you may be leaving ESPN. So we wanted to give you the floor and ask you if you had anything you wanted to share about that. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You guys are my friends and it's not that like stupid and like, well, I love you guys type feeling. I mean, I have like real, real affinity for you guys both as individuals. And I would share with you if I had something to share. And, um, I totally respect that you have to ask that. I, I respect that you felt like, Hey, this may piss Will off, but we have to ask it. Cause that's always been my perspective. Questions aren't a problem. Answers are. So I respect that you guys asked it, but I have nothing to say on that. Well, thank you for handling that better than Dana White handed uh, your interview. With uh, so really <laughs> yeah, thanks for having um, Dana White. Hey, really, we've made up. Okay, wait. Actually, I saw that. So wait, did he come on the show? Is that what happened? Yes. Yes. Uh, Radio Rose Super Bowl. He came on the show. We actually played him the sound from back in the day with Rosillo. And it was what? Rosillo and Cannell and Michelle, you were on the show. Oh, I think yeah. Everybody was still there. And I totally ticked Dana off and called me that guy. And, <laughs> All that, and um, I reminded him of it, and I played him the sound, and you know what he said? He goes, I was a real jerk. Sorry about that. (laughs) Wow. All right. Hey, shouts out to to Dana White. I mean, listen, I think Dana's all about publicity, so whatever puts him in a good light, I think he's interested in, so that's probably what that happened there. But you were 100% in the right there. It was a legitimate question. He just didn't like the question, and that's what it was, and he got annoyed that you were asking a really good question, and you weren't letting him off the hook, and... Honestly, shouts out to both of you guys, and shouts out to him for saying I was a jerk because I don't know. That actually takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of balls to admit that you were wrong in a situation like that. But I will say this: in reading all the stuff about your future and whatever, like in reading through Twitter, and we asked you about you know all the negative responses on Twitter and whatnot. It is funny to read through some of that stuff. But so it kind of dawned on me, and this will be my last question for you. And it's not even really a question. It's more of a statement. I think people are afraid to admit that they like you, Will. I think they are. I think they're afraid of what other people will think. I think they're afraid because you're almost like third rail, right? They're just not sure if they should be touching that. But I think people (laughs) do really like you. I just don't know if they're ready to admit that publicly. So whatever your future is, I have no doubt that it'll be successful. And uh, whether it's ESPN, because obviously your show is super successful right now, whether it's wherever in the future, People like you. People like you because you're they're, you're real. Because you because you do that to Dana White. You ask them the questions that are uncomfortable, but that need to be asked. You push people's buttons a little bit. And even if people don't want to necessarily admit that you're a good guy, you are a good guy, Will. So I'll leave it. At that. <laughs> I appreciate that from you guys both very much. Well, Will, we're gonna 
wrap it up here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your quarantine in Tennessee to do this. We love you. We miss you. And good luck with everything in the future. Thank you for doing this. Okay. Thanks, guys. Well, that was so fun. It was so great to catch up with Will. Saruti is still here. Saruti, wasn't that fun to catch up with Will? Yeah. I mean, I'm genuinely not trying to blow smoke up Will's ass or anything. And everyone knows that I work with him and I really like him. And he's one of the best dudes there is. It's just always funny to me and you and people that know him, just how different he is from, you're right, you said it so well from the perspective of most people, especially on Twitter. Like, you see all the stuff that's going on with him and his future, and everyone's like, ah, fuck Will Kane. Like, can't wait. ESPN will be better off. And it's like, well, not sure about that, actually. Um, Will is one of the smartest, most unique people there. He is super friendly, um, and he's open to just basically having conversations with anyone. So, I mean, like, listen, you're not going to hear me or you and I are going to basically say great things about Will because we know him and we like him and that's the way it is. But it's really true. We're not just making this stuff up because we want to have him on the show. He's genuinely a great dude. Yeah, you can know someone like them, but also respect them and acknowledge that they're great at their job. And I think so many people get into media and they can work really hard or present their takes in a certain way, etc. Some people just have naturally it if you know what I mean, and Will has it. You know, Will has that great cocktail of he works hard, he's opinionated, he's so genuinely himself, but he's also just got it. Yeah, I think very few people have juice, and he's, you know, he's just different. Like, he is different, and as we talked about, he's going to push the envelope. He's not afraid to ask uncomfortable questions, even though he isn't afraid to push something, whereas, like, you know, I think if he was doing the interview with himself about what his future was going to be like, I wonder if he would push more than we did. I mean, we're doing it because we're friends, and I don't want to put him in a weird spot, but, like, Will is a guy who he knows what people want, and he knows what's going to be good content and radio stuff, and he knows that that's not just being some vanilla guy who's buddy-buddy with everybody. Like, sometimes real life, and you got to, like, go at people, and you have to challenge people, and he's very much about challenging people. And, you know, I always kind of laugh at it's like being the best me you can, but, like, Will is really about that. Speaking of being the best me you can, should I read a review that provides a little, should we say, constructive criticism towards you and me? Yeah, I mean, I love constructive criticism. Okay, so it's time for a review. If you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts, search for Small Talk, subscribe, rate, preferably five stars, and leave a review. Like this person, the Kiwi Girl, who says, title, Linguistics and Linguini, five stars. First time I've heard an American say, I forget how you said it, pecan. How would you say it? Pecan? <laughs> pecan? Yeah. Aunt and Pecan pie. Pecan pie, aunt, and caramel, the same as me. I love it. Also agree with not liking pasta leftovers, but pizza, you're crushing cheesy second-day pizza slices hearts. They might not be fresh, but they've got character. I mean, shout out to whoever this is because it sounds like we're basically the same. But I'll never understand how you don't like leftover pizza is is unbelievable. It's unbelievably good, especially if you cook it the right way. you got to put it in the oven, like maybe, I don't know, 350 or so, 5, 10 minutes. It gets crispy again. The cheese gets melty, and it's basically like a brand-new piece of pizza. So I, I don't understand how you can possibly ever knock that. And then as for the uh, pecan and what was it, caramel thing, I don't and know. Aunt, like my, aunt. My, my wife, Maddie, was making fun of me because she doesn't say caramel. She says caramel. I, I don't know. I say caramel. I don't know. I feel like I've said it different ways throughout my entire life. I typically say caramel now, though. I've noticed that I've got older. I've sort of settled on caramel. But for aunt. Aunt, it's like my Aunt D, my Aunt Deli, my Aunt whatever, you know, whatever. Like, it's always Aunt, not Aunt, and it's spelled Aunt. I feel vindicated. 
Yeah, for aunt, I will give you that it is spelled the way you're pronouncing it, but caramel or caramel, however you said that, it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like you are trying to say it with an accent. I don't really understand where that came from. And pecan, again, we should have discussed this with Will. To me, that sounds like a southern drawl. You're in Texas. I'm going to go watch some football and eat some pecan pie. That sounds like you're in Texas, the great state of Texas. It does. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. I I didn't spend any time in the South. I haven't grown up in the South. But I will say this guy, Nick, on Twitter hit me up and said, a little offended um, us Louisiana citizens considered the people that say pecan pie or pecan um, couldn't be farther from the truth. I don't know where it's – I don't know what the origin is from. I just know that that's how everyone I've known, like my parents, whatever, everyone I've been around, like because you're a product of your environment. Like you say things because somebody else said it. And here in Connecticut, I grew up saying pecan. Also, shouts out to Kiwi Girl, shout out to New Zealand. But of all the reviews I've ever read and that you've possibly ever read, this last line might be the best thing I've ever heard in a review. When referring to Second Day Pizza, she says they might not be fresh, but they've got character. And honestly, what a wonderful description. That almost makes me want to try Second Day Pizza. You should, yeah, you should order some pizza tonight. Have a slice or two and leave the rest in and then put the rest in the oven tomorrow and then have it. And I guarantee you it'll change your perspective on leftovers. Guarantee. Because she's right. It is different. It's not the same. But, but again, sometimes, especially when she's talking about cheesy pizza, if you put a piece of cheese pizza back in the oven, it's like a different texture. And even the cheese tastes a little bit different, but it's not in a bad way. It's like having new pizza day two. See, what she said that made me kind of want to do it, you telling me about the cheese being different, definitely made me gag a little. So I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Cheese is different, Michelle. There are different there are different types of cheese. There are different melty types of cheese, and uh, it gets like a little bit more crispy when you do it the second time because like you're basically cooking it again, right? So it's almost like if you put a piece of cheese down on a griddle, that's kind of what it tastes like. It's like crispy, good cheese. So let's wrap this up before I vomit everywhere. Thank you, Steve, for jumping on. Thank you to Will Kane. Thank you to Anthony for putting this together. Thank you guys for listening. Steve and I will be back in action soon. But until then, keep it real. Stay at home. Stay safe. And please wash your hands. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.